When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent, and down the line from Tokyo, we have our guest today, Hubertus Witt, who is the head of Frankfurt Mine Finance, the lobby group for Frankfurt as a financial centre. And from New York, we have Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor, in conversation with the president of NCR, the cash machine company. Today, we'll be talking about the latest pitches from Europe's financial centres to win business from London. Second, we'll be taking a look at the latest investment banking league tables, who's up and who's down. And finally, that interview with the head of NCR, the cash machine company. So to our first story of the day and suggestions that Frankfurt is winning the race among European financial capitals to steal business from London once Brexit happens. Of course, Article 50, which will trigger Brexit formally, is due to happen next week. Martin, you've picked up a lot of anecdotal information along with colleagues about Frankfurt winning this race. What exactly did you find? We found that it really depends by type of business that's moving and what they already have in place as to where they're moving things. But overall, the overwhelming opinion of most people we spoke to was that Frankfurt is coming out ahead of other potential alternative financial centres. They're honourable mentions for Dublin, which is favoured by several financial institutions because of its language in particular, also legal system, very similar to the UK. Several banks have got large operations there already, so that favours Dublin. Some Japanese banks are looking at Amsterdam, for instance. HSBC has strongly indicated Paris. That's for historical reasons. They did an acquisition there a couple of decades ago that stands them in good stead. So that's where they will move some of their investment banking activity. But I can sum up the view of some of the senior city leaders that we spoke to. John McFarlane said, you know, over a long period of time, activity moves to the centre of gravity. And the location of the ECB in Frankfurt is an example of this. So it's really regulatory reasons as much as anything else. And John McFarlane there is the chairman of Barclays, but also head of the City UK lobby group. So he should know what he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. Now, I would insert several caveats here, if I can, very quickly, Patrick. One is that London has a lot of advantages, including its scale and ability to house and educate the offspring and entertain and wine and dine hundreds of thousands of financial service professionals. People are seriously sceptical about the ability of places like Frankfurt, Dublin, Luxembourg, even Amsterdam to achieve that. So we are talking here about a few thousand jobs. I think Frankfurt has expressed a hope that ten to 20,000 jobs will eventually move across. But I think that's over the medium term if it's a really hard Brexit and a lot of activity does leave London. But in the first instance, I think we're going to see institutions moving a few hundred, at most a thousand or two thousand jobs out of the city. So when you're talking about the city of London that's got hundreds of thousands of jobs in financial services and then 
then if you add in all the ancillary services, it's much greater than that. In the first instance, it's likely that a lot of these jobs will stay in London. The other thing to say is that a lot of Wall Street bankers have expressed the opinion it's actually going to be New York that's the big winner here, especially when you take into account the tax cuts and deregulation that President Trump has promised, which should make the US a much more attractive place to do business for some of these firms. So they might just move international activities they're doing currently in London back to New York. And then, of course, there's the attractions of Asia, because that's where the real economic growth is. So why not move some of that global business to Asia? But the institutions are reluctant to make any big moves until they know the final outcome of the Brexit negotiations, the so-called Article 50 process, which starts next week as a two-year process. But it may be several years before the final outcome and all the dust has settled. And at that point, they may take more drastic moves. Well, let's hear what the view on the ground in Frankfurt is. I'm joined now by Hubertus Witt, who's the head of Frankfurt Mine Finance, the body that promotes Frankfurt as a financial centre. Mr. Witt, you must be delighted with suggestions that Frankfurt is winning this race. I certainly am, and um, I can only reinforce that impression because we very much have uh, indications that the majority of banks that looking at making their decisions within the next couple of weeks and months are having Frankfurt on their shortlist. And there are very good arguments that speak in favor of Frankfurt, particularly economic arguments such as costs, such as closeness to regulators, as well as uh, talent pool and other aspects that clearly make their way through the decision chain. You've got the same type of anecdotal evidence, I guess, as we have in our reporting. Do you have anything concrete in terms of property commitments that have been made by any banks or pledges by anybody? I'm very much in the same situation like you. So specific names are difficult to get by. I'm still working very hard on some of the banks coming forward and speaking out. But there are clear indications from a Swiss bank, a Japanese bank, an Indian bank, as well as the majority of the American big five, that we have good reasons to believe that we are front of the queue, as well as looking at new rentals in the Frankfurt market, which have been up for 75% in the second half of 2016 and still going strong. So if you take all those indicators together, I think uh, we have a very strong case here. How soon do you think we will have public announcements around this and how significant will they be in terms of numbers of jobs? Well, I think everybody is waiting for the 29th of March. Now, finally, the 29th of March with the Article 50 has been set. I don't believe anybody will speak out before that date, but soon after I'll expect a lot of announcements. Okay, well, we will uh, come back to that over the next couple of weeks then. Hubertus Witt, thank you very much for joining us. Let's move on to our second topic. Laura, you've been taking a look at the latest data from Coalition. These are the data providers that look at investment banks and how they're faring against each other. What is the big standout for you this time around? So I guess broadly similar, I mean, there hasn't been a year of huge change. So when you look at the investment bank tables for the revenue for 2016, most banks are pretty much where they were the previous year, particularly on the international stage. And there we see the continued dominance of the US and the Europeans have really faded. So the top five positions are now all taken by US banks. 
One of the interesting things for us has been looking at the Europe, Middle East and Africa region and there we've seen Deutsche Bank, which would have had a very strong position and still does, but Deutsche has fallen from being one of Europe's top two to being one of Europe's top three. Now obviously that's quite a slight fall, but still it is significant in the context of where Deutsche has been overall. So this is a bank that was once one of the world's biggest investment banks. I mean, until 2014, it was one of the top three in the world. Now it's one of the top six in the world. We're now seeing it falling from being the top two in the European region to being in the top three in the European region. And Europe is the home region for Deutsche. It is the area where we'd expect Deutsche to be performing the best and where we'll expect them to defend their turf the most strongly. So they will, I think, be looking to make up some of this lost share this year and over the coming years. And is it simplistic to blame it on all of the tumult that's been going on inside Deutsche Bank? Obviously the legacy issues and fines and so on, but controversial treatment of staff over bonuses and so on? I think certainly that hasn't helped. There's been two issues, first of all, from an external perspective. Towards the second half of last year, we heard a lot about the franchise damage for Deutsche Bank, and that was basically all of their clients were hearing so much bad news about the bank externally. It was shaking their confidence in terms of actually dealing with the bank when it came to giving the bank big mandates. It also made it difficult for the Deutsche Bankers when they go in to pitch something and they spend the first 10 minutes talking about Deutsche's own financial situation. Then there's also a very real issue around the morale. I mean, Deutsche has made some very big cuts to bonuses, very big cuts to pay. They have taken away bonuses effectively from a large number of the revenue producers. And over an amount of time, that does have an impact on morale. It has an impact on the bank's capacity to actually keep talent. So I think that is certainly showing through as well. And I think Deutsche will hope they will look back and they will see 2016 as having been really the low point. And they will be looking to build on that. And hopefully they are now further into their overall strategic plan. They are are hoping that the overall German economy is going to continue to do well. They have a large business in the US. They hope that that's going to benefit from the US economic recovery. I mean, one of the odd things about it is that the bank that actually has come up against Deutsche in the European region is Goldman Sachs. And that's something that we wouldn't necessarily have expected because Goldman Sachs itself had a fairly tumultuous year in the European region last year. So we're surprised to see them having gained share. They are now joint second with Deutsche for Europe, the Middle East and Africa. And a final word on Asia. There have been some interesting changes there in terms of the rankings. Yeah, I mean, Asia continues to be dominated by three big US banks, but we've seen one of the Asian banks, Nomura, has jumped from number eight for the full year 2015 to number four now. That is the biggest improvement that we've seen from any bank in any of the regional league tables. So that really is a very big jump. It's unclear at this point whether this is something one-off or if this is something that the bank is going to be able to sustain. Okay, well, thanks for that overview, Laura. Let's move on to our final topic of the day. This is an interview that Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor, has done with Mark Benjamin, who's the president and COO of NCR. Now, NCR is a big cash machine company, uh, very well-known force across the world. And this year marks the 50th anniversary of the ATM. And, of course, NCR was the inventor of that first machine and is still very much in business today. Well, Mark, thanks very much for joining me. Your company, NCR, is best known, I think, for supplying about one in four of the world's 3.1 million uh, ATMs. But can we start by talking about the um, the future in a world where we're drifting more and more towards uh, not using cash so much as digital money? Where does that leave NCR? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Ben. I appreciate nice. that. It's great to be here. So, you know, on the on the cash side of, of the markets, we we see a very mixed bag. We see cash rates still increasing on a global basis. We see it very much uh, 
specific to geography and to region, if you will. You know, as far as the different currencies and and you see some governments reducing, you know, the types of currency in their respective markets, those are in, in many ways a, you know, how do I cut down perhaps black markets and other type of security issues with certain currencies. Yeah. But we still see very high rates and it's a highly preferred way that people perform their transactions, you know, across all our markets and all our geographies. So can you describe your, your latest model, which I think was launched uh, last month, the Series sure. 80? I read some of your blurb for that. It sounds very exciting. You're talking about swiping and scrolling and pinching and all, all that sort of Apple operating system uh, language. But how exactly does this make our lives better? Yeah, sure. So we, we've seen a number of different things at NCR. We, we produced our first ATM 50 years ago. Right. So today the consumer experience is front and center not just for consumers like me and you, but for our customers. They're looking to really improve their consumer experience, their digital experience with their customer base. Mm-hmm. We've just launched our, our new Series 80 machines. Customers can now interact with an ATM on a much larger screen that mm-hmm. gives you the ability, as you mentioned, to swipe or zoom, uh, which has really become commonplace right. for, for all consumers. Yeah. Even two-year-old toddlers can adapt that's, to that. That's right. Typically faster than, than we can. So many of our customers, you know, large, large financial institutions or the midsize or community size, are really able to benefit from how their customers interact with their associates at the branch. So perhaps the experience at the retail bank will shift to something that's friendly, it's efficient, uh, you can accomplish in a self-controlled environment what you need to get accomplished, and then also be supported by branch personnel that perhaps aren't standing behind teller counters right. or waiting in lines becomes a thing of the past. You can really do yeah. your transactions. Yeah, w- w- without mentioning names, you, you do walk past bank branches still on the high street with about half a dozen people sitting in booths playing solitaire. They're not actually doing right. a lot of work as far as I can tell. But So w- with this ATM, can you sort of dispense with some of those people? What we've seen with our customers uh, are a number of things is they can take their people from behind the counters and put them out in front of the counters and actually talk to their customers. The customers can handle many of their own transactions in our new Series 80 launch. Uh, we see 80 plus percent of the transaction that can be at the assisted or the ATM. Yeah. Uh, we've also introduced interactive uh, ATMs within our new fleet. So if a customer would like to speak with a branch associate or speak perhaps a different language, because mm-hmm. they may be visiting, in this case, in New York City, they'd like to speak Russian or German. On the ATM, actually, they can look for an interactive teller pick up a phone for privacy reasons and speak in a different language real time to a teller on the large screen format right in front of them. Plus, it also allows the machine to become cardless. Mm -hmm. So a consumer today, without having to reach in, take out their card, enter the card, they can now use their mobile device as a point of entry into the ATM, essentially contactless, which helps the machine's performance because you're not sticking a, a physical card into a machine, as well as the security for the consumer and the and the branch themselves, because the phone serves as an authentication device. The authentication uh, at the ATM with a code, really an increase into the way that these machines can perform mm-hmm. security. So, but you said 80% of transactions or, or functions can be uh, automated through this new gleaming 
ATM. So what, what's left? What, what interactions cannot be automated away? I think we're in early stages of piloting the remaining 20%, if you will. So I think it's a question of uh, new customer acquisition, perhaps mortgage application, you know, verification of documents. So I think there's a number of things that the technology that we have exists. It's just a question of really how quickly the bank is willing to adopt or really pilot and then see the take rate. But we've seen really great results with these Series 80s. We've been in pilot with some mm-hmm. of the the banks, certainly household names here in the U.S. So the really big ones, the, the Chase's, really, the, that's right. the Wells Fargo's. That's right. What does the, the bank branch of the future look like? Is, is it like a Starbucks? Is it like a coffee shop with, it, with this very fancy uh, ATM in the corner? Yeah, so it's a great question, and, and we see all different formats. So it certainly can be a coffee shop serving as a, as a branch. We see examples where community banks today are turning now perhaps their footprint into actual community meeting places right. and, and where they can introduce community business owners to other community business owners or have speakers come in and serve their local branch customers. So banks turning into social clubs. Mark Benjamin, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Ben. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin and Laura here in the studio, our guest from Frankfurt Mine Finance, Hubertus Witt, and also Ben in New York with his guest from NCR. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon and Amy Keane. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.